Alola Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to a very special edition of the Empire Podcast, looking ahead to the brand new limited edition six-part Star Wars series, Obi-Wan Kenobi, which drops tomorrow, May 27th, on Disney+, Plus, or has already dropped, depending on when you're listening to this. In this special, you're going to hear two fairly lengthy interviews I conducted recently with the show's key creatives, director Deborah Chow and head writer Joby Harold, about bringing back Hugh McGregor as everyone's favourite Jedi Master, Plo Koon notwithstanding, of course, pitting him against threats old and new, including a certain Dark Lord of the Sith, played once again by Hayden Christensen, and what they wanted to do with the show and with the character, all while not giving away too much of course. But I found both chats fascinating, and I hope you do too, from a certain point of view. First up, you're going to hear my chat over Zoom with Deborah Chow, who previously has directed a couple of episodes of The Mandalorian, so she has plenty of Star Wars experience under her belt, but who also has experience in the prequel arena with an excellent episode of Better Call Saul on her CV. So here we go, me talking to Deborah Chow. Do please enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on this very special Obi-Wan Kenobi preview podcast by the director of all six episodes of the show, Deborah Chow. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. Are you done? Are you finished on the show, by the way? Um, not quite. I'm not quite <laughs> finished. <laughs> What's left to do? What's left? Yeah. Uh, it's just, you know, kind of those last technical things. I mean, we're close. We're very close. But, you know, it's six episodes, so it's quite a lot. Yes, absolutely. And you're the director of all six episodes as well, which is, if I'm right in thinking, the first for these Star Wars TV shows. Uh, obviously, you've directed a couple of episodes of The Mandalorian, but The Mandalorian and The Book of Boba Fett tended to be split up between directors. So how did how did it come about? You directed all six? Um, you know, I came on and I actually inherited the project, you know, because it was already in development. Mm-hmm. And it was, at that point, a limited series with one director. So I feel like I was so fortunate because... Uh, I was very excited actually to have the ability to really sort of tell this story from beginning to end and just try to really sort of do one strong vision with it. Um, so it was very exciting to me, the ability to do a limited series for this, sh- for the show. So can you tell me, tell me, talk me through your pitch? How did you pitch for this? Well, what was, you know, did you put mood boards together? What was, what was, what was on those, those mood boards? What was in that pitch for you? Um, you know, I think visually it was a, it was a lot of visual references Um and I think one of the biggest things that I felt very strongly about with this series, because it was limited and also because it was, you know, it's called Obi-Wan Kenobi. So it's very much about him is that I really wanted to make it character driven and to have, you know, kind of a, a lot more time to do stuff that felt you could really feel his personal emotional journey on that. So a lot of the things I think in some of the earlier meetings for me was visual references that we're tying into the genre, but in a way that kind of felt a little bit more atmospheric and gritty and it felt, had that emotional tone. So things like the proposition or assassination of Jesse James um, for Westerns of, of having that sort of feel to them. Amazing. So did, did you see this as, I mean, you know, the Western aesthetic has obviously influenced Star Wars right from the off. George was very influenced by that. But uh, is that something that you, you saw this, this show uh, as, as being more specifically, I guess? For me, and I think, you know, for a lot of people that the DNA for Star Wars has always felt that it lies in Westerns and samurai films, um, particularly samurai films, because yeah. you know, it's such a similar code. It's not just, they're not just warriors, but there's also an ethical and a moral code that comes along with it. Um, you know, and so I think for also for our starting point in the series, such, such a strong correlation in my head, at least between, you know, that there's this Jedi warrior and he's left, but everybody has been killed or they're hunted or they're in hiding. So it's almost like he's like the last samurai in this environment. And it's like, you know, when the world's changed around you and we're in, you're in such a dark time period, how do you hold on to that code of ethics or how do you hold on to that feeling? So um, it was really, it's always helpful for me to go back to the samurai films and the Westerns as references. And uh, can you can you talk a little bit about that then in terms of where we start off? I, I imagine we can't talk about where you end uh, the show, at least not, not quite yet. But uh, we can talk about where you start and where we pick up with, with Obi-Wan. We're about 10 years after the end of Revenge of the Sith. Is that correct? Yes. So we're 10 years after Revenge of the Sith. So essentially, we're right between the two trilogies. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's 20 years, a 20-year gap for A New Hope. Um, so it's an, a very interesting time period because it's a very dark time period. Um, you know, this is a period in which the empire is in ascendance. 
we're post order 66 as so many of the Jedi's have been killed and they're being hunted or they're in hiding. Um, the inquisitors who, you know, we're bringing into live action for the first time are very dominant in this period, you know, and they're under Palpatine invader and they're out there trying to eradicate and hunt down the Jedi's. So it's essentially a very dark time period to be a Jedi in. Um, and then the other part of it is for, Obi-Wan Kenobi and his character were coming out from Revenge of the Sith. So everything that happened with Anakin, you know, all the angst, all the tragedy on Mustafar, he is still carrying that weight and he's still carrying so much of what happened at the end of the, the, the prequels into this series. Obi-Wan's really interesting in that when we first meet him, obviously in, in A New Hope, uh, he's been very much, he's maintained this watching brief over, over Luke for, for many, many years. And that obviously would present you with a dramatic problem in that you would have a very passive protagonist who would basically be just sitting in the, in the desert watching Luke through binoculars. And that's clearly not what this show is. This show has a has a grand sweep to it. It travels to many different planets. So how do you tackle that problem? Um, you know, if you can talk about how you and the, and the writers and maybe even Ewan as well wanted to tackle that problem of, of turning Obi-Wan from passive protagonist into an active protagonist. Yeah, you know, it, it's challenging because if, you know, I know there's there's probably quite a few people that feel that all he should have done is sit on that rock and watch over <laughs> Luke Skywalker, but, I, you know, it would have been great maybe for 20 minutes, but I'm not sure you'd want to see the entire series do that. Um, so that, you know, that was, and I think that was a big part of the challenge, honestly, is given given the timeline, given, you know, his duty and given being in between these two trilogies, what is a story that feels honest and what, what is a story that does feel like it makes sense for this character? So our starting point, I think something that Joby and I, the writer and I were really looking at is, you know, why are we telling this story? And I think for us, what we truly looked at was the question of how did he go from the end of Revenge of the Sith, where he's standing on the banks of Mustafar screaming and in so much pain. Um, and, you know, it's so dramatic what happened to them to the sort of peaceful calm of Alec Guinness in A New Hope. And to us, something clearly happened or something happened in these 20 years that transformed this character in this journey. And that for us is why we felt we had a story to tell. Uh, and as Ewan, presumably he wanted to do the same things. Were there, were there things that Ewan wanted to to do that maybe he hadn't done before, but were there also pitfalls that he wanted to avoid in your conversations with him? Um, I think, yeah, I don't think he wanted to sit on a rock for six episodes. Uh, it might not have been the most active performance for him. Um, but, you know, I think the biggest thing, you know, he was such a, an open and collaborative partner through this. And it, it was so great getting to work with him because he just is this character um, on a creative level. But I think one of the things that I think he was excited about was getting to have a lot more depth and complexity and, you know, to maybe take a character that, is known more for the lighter side or for their wit or their humor and, and do this character in a period where, you know, they're a little bit broken and they're, they're struggling with their faith. And I think that was very interesting to him. And I think obviously for an actor and for performance starting there and then doing a journey back to hope it's, it's a, gives you a great arc, both, both in terms of directing and performers. There's some really interesting ground, um, that you could potentially explore in this uh, in this series, set that obviously ten years, kind of in the in the midway point between Revenge of the Sith and, and A New Hope, you have the relationship between Obi Wan and, and Fader, which is which is very interesting. We got the sense in A New Hope that they hadn't seen each other in a long time. Uh, I suspect <laughs> for anyone who thought that maybe they last met on, um, they met for the last time on, on Mustafar, they're about to be disabused of that notion. But I mean, as someone who's worked, you know, you directed one of my favorite episodes of Better Call Saul, so you know all about how characters can sometimes be wreathed in plot armor, but how you can still dig into their character and make it really compelling going forward. How do you get these two characters to operate in the same arena or to even just circle each other while the outcome is known for people? How do you make that compelling dramatically? Uh, that was the biggest challenge. It's very hard to tell a story that's in between, you know, two trilogies where everybody knows what happens before and after to the characters. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it in, in large part, we were essentially telling the second act 
in these characters' lives and telling a story right in the middle, which is always the hardest part of the story to tell in any story. Um, so that was what was so challenging. That's also, you know, why we did so much development is trying to trying to get a story that felt like organic and it felt truthful during this period. Um, but it was it's also quite exciting in a lot of ways to have that challenge. Um, you know, and I think for us at least the biggest thing that we were trying to do is is always have it come from a place of character where it started with Kenobi and ended with Kenobi. And the reason for us in terms of bringing back Vader, because it's not something you do lightly and we did not want to do it just for the sake of doing it, is that when we really looked at his character and we looked at his journey and his past and the people that were important to him in his life, it's obvious that Anakin and Vader are so pivotal to what to his life experience and where he is at this point in the timeline that it felt very difficult to tell the story without without addressing that. Um, so for us, you know, we really tried to make it come from a place of character, if nothing else. And I know you obviously have other antagonists in, in the show. Uh, you mentioned there, and I, I want to talk about it in a second as well. The 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 Grand Inquisitor and bringing elements in to live action like the sisters, which is really really interesting. But with with Fader, bringing Fader in and how, and pitting him against Obi-Wan, there is obviously an expectation that they will meet. But I suspect it's not something that happens in every episode. I suspect it's maybe something that you build towards. Can you talk about layering that and, and building that, building up the steps for that? You know, I would say, uh, without giving away too much, that I don't, I don't think Vader is a character that you want too much of, yeah. personally. I always feel like less is more with him. Um, so I certainly don't think you want to see a series where he's on screen, you know, chatting up a storm the whole time. So, <laughs> you know, I think, I think for me, at least, and I think with, as we were trying to develop the material, if you're going to bring Vader on screen, he needs a real purpose and there needs to be a real reason to do it. Um, so for us, we tried to always use that as a guiding principle that less is more. And then if you're going to do it, it needs to mean something. Mm-hmm. And if it means something, and if you're going to do it when you when you bring in Fader, uh, bringing Hayden back, I thought was very very interesting. Um, whether that means we see him outside the, uh, outside the helmet, I'm sure is something you can't you can't say at this point. But can you talk about the the decision to bring back Hayden and not just simply not just simply, but not just bring in a, a stunt performer, for example, to to fill the armor? Um, you know, I think obviously because of our connection to the prequels and to Revenge of the Sith, and because of Ewan it felt incredibly natural that it should be Hayden. Um, and it, to me, it, it felt important that part of this story, and because we're so, our strongest interconnective tissue really is to Revenge of the Sith, that he's so pivotal in that, that it felt that it had to be Hayden in this for me. So um, we were just very fortunate that he agreed to do it. In terms of bridging the gap as well to to Revenge of the Sith, uh, you have uh, Owen and Anne Peru back, Uncle Owen and Anne Peru back as well. And we got a sense in the trailer, uh, you know, Joel Edgerton, who's a phenomenal actor, uh, that there's a little bit of a, there's a little bit of, 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 of niggle in his relationship with with Obi Wan, you can see why this guy comes out of nowhere and gives you this kid. By the way, this kid's the most dangerous kid in the entire galaxy. People may come looking for this, and they one day may burn you and your wife alive. But that's neither here nor there. Is there is there tension in that relationship? Uh, and can you talk about the, the dynamic between between Owen and Obi Wan? Uh, there's definitely tension in that dynamic, and I think you know it stems um, so much from that they have different destinies in mind for him. And yeah. there's an internal conflict. And, you know, obviously we saw that in New Hope that Owen very much wants him to be a farmer and he wants him to be safe. And he does not want the life, you know, that Obi-Wan sitting on that rock waiting for. So I think that conflict over the destiny um, is at the heart of it. And, you know, then they're also just such different characters. But uh, truthfully, I was one of the things I was the most excited about was getting to do conflict, especially with Ewan and Joel Edgerton together in these roles. Because, you know, otherwise you could have that sort of lone samurai uh, aspect to Obi-Wan where he doesn't really encounter anyone. So well, I'm not saying that Owen is a sidekick here, but is there, is there a buddy dynamic, a buddy movie dynamic to that, to that relationship? Um, I don't know if I would quite go as far to say buddy dynamic. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe that's another just a spin-off season. You could have a road trip between those two. But no, uh, I wouldn't say buddy. They're, they're definitely in conflict. Okay, all right, no worries. And uh, can you talk about, as you mentioned, the, the Grand Inquisitor and, and the sisters and, and, and the brothers, in fact, as well, and bringing them into the live-action arena? 
Um, yeah, you know, there's something obviously that was developed uh, in the animated series by Dave Filoni. Um, and so it was exciting to bring them in. And also for this period in the timeline, it made perfect sense. And it, it was an element um, that really made sense in this story. So uh, I was also excited to bring a new element in as well, to have something, you know, because we have so much legacy and there's so much canon that's been established already with this series, it felt important to me that we have some elements that felt original and felt new for the audience. Um, and the Inquisitors are such a fearsome, sort of amazing group to bring in. So it was exciting to get to do that. Can you talk about how that impacts on, on Obi-Wan? I imagine life can't be easy when there are people out there who are actively hunting you down. But is there an inciting incident, for example, that you can talk about that, that, that sets him off in the path? We know that, for example, from the, from the, from the teasers and the trailers, that it's not all set in Tatooine, that you do explore the galaxy. So something does prompt him to, to head out into the, into, into space. Can you talk a, a little bit about that, about that and how, how his path intersects with the, the, the Grand Inquisitor? Um, you know, the Inquisitor is obviously at this point, they're hunting Jedi and that is their purpose. Mm. Um, so they're out there. And at this point, you know, we're 10 years after the revenge of the Sith. There's not that, there's not that many left, you know what I mean? So, so many very good at it. Exactly. They've been very good at their jobs and, you know, um, so they, they're out there hunting and obviously in this scenario, Kenobi would be the white whale in this Moby Dick story. So for them, so, um, you know, there's, there's obviously it's a, you have, it, it, it ends up giving his character because with having things like the Inquisitors and the Empire out there and so focused on Jedi hunting, it forces him into hiding, which I think is a really interesting starting place where, you know, this is a period where you cannot walk around and be a Jedi that, you know, you have to go into hiding and you have to be very careful. Um, so it's a very interesting pressure to put on his character at this point. Mm. And within that, does that allow you also to have fun with uh, some of the some of the 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 plot points I don't think with the greatest will with the greatest respect to George Lucas that he was necessarily thinking about when he when he wrote this initially, which is of course the idea that you know Obi Wan Kenobi decides to hide Luke Skywalker on Tatooine, the same planet that Anakin Skywalker comes from, doesn't change his surname, and even Obi Wan when he assumes his own uh, different identity keeps the same surname. I mean, honestly, Ben, what are you doing? Uh, do you, <laughs> does that allow you to have fun with that? You know, the idea that he's hiding in plain sight, but not terribly well. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. I mean, I think you'd have, to, you'd have to talk to George about much of that. Uh, <laughs> um, for us in that respect, you know, I, you know, I was trying as much to respect the canon and really respect George's vision for this. Uh, you know, and I think, you know, things like that. And there's always going to be things like that. But I think at the end of the day, the biggest thing we're trying to do is, is get into the character and get into the essence of the character to have it feel right. Um, but he is a very good Jedi. So, you know, he can get a, he can get around a lot of logic problems. <laughs> he can use those Jedi mind tricks. Yes, I mean, exactly. that, yeah. And can you talk about slowly reconciling the you-ness of the character and the Alec Guinnessness of the character and, and bringing those together. So, so I imagine by the end of this, this series that we're closer to bridging the gap between, between those two performances, which must have been a, a challenge for, for you and Ewan. Um, you know, I think with you, you know, this is the advantage of having someone like Ewan in this role. And I think also from the prequels, he did such an amazing job of doing the younger version. Um, and it's interesting because I feel like, you know, there's different generations where, you know, they think of Sir Alec Guinness, but there's so many people actually in the younger generations who it's Ewan, <laughs> Ewan is Kenobi. So they don't even think about him, um, about the older version of him. So I think, I think the, you know, there's also some logic obviously with the age lining up and the, and the years intervening with, you know, the real ages of everybody that isn't exactly going to line up. But I think what we felt is to me, at least it felt like Ewan was kind of the exact right age to play this character right now, where, you know, he still, he has the wisdom and he has the life experience um, that age brings you, but he still has the vigor and the youth as well. And it just felt like this is the moment. And this is what is also interesting about this story is that this is this character sort of in middle age. Uh, it's not the youth and vigor of the prequels and it's not sort of the older version. 
And that is something that was quite exciting to do is to do this character in this period in their life. Um, and I think Ewan, just where he is naturally in his life, really embodied that. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't know, you know, we didn't strive honestly to do, you know, we're not trying to gray his hair every week to get him closer. You know, we're not doing anything like that. But I think it's it's in the essence of the character more than anything. Does he does he feel like he's growing into the character yeah. um, that Alec Guinness created less so than just, you know, a physical transformation? Interestingly, and uh, uh, this may be misleading because it's, it's it's in the trailers. But whenever we hear him speak in the in the trailers, he does seem to be making less of a concerted effort to sound like Alec Guinness than he perhaps did in the past. Was that is that the case? And if so, was that a conscious decision? Um, I mean, I think that's probably more of a question for you and on that and in the decision of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I felt I felt very much that you know it's always tricky. I think for actors when they have an iconic actor and they're playing the younger version of them uh because if you if you just end up just sort of trying to mimic them it's weird and it doesn't work out very well so i think i feel like the most successful is always when they're they're getting the essence of the character even if it may not be exact on other elements um and i feel like ewan did that so successfully in the prequels where he respected and you really felt the lineage to sir alec guinness but at the same time he really made the role his own uh and so for us coming in Personally, for me, it wasn't important to try to repeat an exact speech pattern or whatnot. You know, he's already very aware of that and in the zone of that. But I feel like what what I wanted at least to see is I wanted Ewan and I wanted Ewan to own the role. And and, and physically as well, he he very much made Obi-Wan his own. You know, obviously, the, in, in A New Hope, there's, there's one lightsaber fight and then bye-bye Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, whereas in the prequels, he's very, very active physically. Uh, I would expect a fair amount of physical conflict uh, in this in this limited series as well. Could you talk about that? I mean, how, how a middle-aged Obi-Wan, who perhaps hasn't had the most practice uh, battling people over the last 10 years or so, how that has affected him? You know, is he, is he ring rusty, for example? Um, yes, he's definitely, you know, if you are starting place in this series is that he has been you know, sort of sitting on Tatooine for 10 years. And given the time period that, you know, it's such a dark time period and he has to be so cautious and Jedis are in hiding, it is a period where, you know, all the Jedi elements about him have to be very hidden and suppressed. So, you know, when we do take him on this journey, he isn't at full fighting format and he's a little bit rusty to start with. Okay. And uh, can you also talk about this decision to to go out into the galaxy and to move away from Tatooine. I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that does still happen on Tatooine, but especially given that Boba Fett was so Tatooine centric and, you know, the the Mandalorian heads to desert planets every now and again as well. Was that something that you specifically wanted to do to explore different aspects of the galaxy? Um, it, it was actually, and it had to come from the story. Like we, we couldn't have done it if it didn't make sense for the story. But I think just for me as a director, visually, one of the things I've always loved about Star Wars is that you do go to new planets and you do get to see these things that are really different and, you know, visual worlds that are, are new and exciting. So it was something that I was really excited to do. And that I did want to do if it, if it was organic to the story is to go to places that we haven't seen before and to see new characters and new visual worlds. Ewan's back. Uh, we've got we've got Fader back, we've got Owen back, we've got uh, Aunt Beru back as well. But do we see the character I think that means most to Obi-Wan Kenobi fans, which is Alan Slees Bagano, the character from Attack of the Clones who tries to sell him death sticks. Do we see that guy again? <laughs> um, you're going to have to wait. There's definitely going to be some surprises um, <laughs> along the way. Uh, but yes, there there wouldn't be Star Wars without some cameos. So they are coming, but you'll have to wait for the surprises on this one. You want to buy some death sticks? Um, <laughs> very excited about that. Oh, that's amazing. Amazing. Uh, well, Deborah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, Cynthia, for your time and uh, best of luck finishing the show. Thank you so much. Brilliant. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, that was Deborah Chow talking about Obi-Wan Kenobi. And now you're going to hear my interview also over Zoom with the show's head writer, Joby Harold, which took place just a couple of days ago on Tuesday night, in fact. I tried not to ask Joby the same questions that I asked Deborah, although there is a little bit of crossover, albeit with a slightly different answer. Hopefully, you will also enjoy this one. Here we go, me talking to Joby Harold. We're delighted to be joined in this Obi-Wan Kenobi preview special by the show's writer, Joby Harold. How the devil are you, sir? 
I'm very well. I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You must be very excited because as we speak now, the show is three days. It's Tuesday, 24th of May. It's three days away from from debuting. And uh, finally, your baby is out there for the whole world to see. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's very, very surreal. Um, Deb, the director, and I have been texting all week about how just odd it is to finally have it be here. And, and, and to stop thinking about it in the abstract and actually have it be real for everybody is, is uh, it's exciting and intimidating in equal amounts. Has it been interesting? Because I imagine you've, you've been on this for, for a while now. Um, have you been on all the way through post? Have you been watching it take shape? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Getting to watch cuts and, and seeing it as, as it evolves and um, which is always, you know, sort of the fun part. Um, and it, it, it's something that, you know, existed on a page way before anything else. And you sort of have a version of it in your mind. And then you see the new iteration of it during production and the iteration again during post. And then, and then you just sort of, it belongs to everyone else. It doesn't belong to you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's been the biggest nut to crack with this show? Um, yeah, that's a really good question. I think it's, it was probably sort of divorcing yourself from the expectation and the pressure and just, you know, all of us kind of coming together and just trying to tell, tell a good story really without, you know, imagining one day what this week would feel like <laughs> and instead just sort of close the door and, and think about the character um, think about what you and could do with it and mm-hmm. think about what would be a good sort of six part story that would really contribute something interesting to this, you know, amazing world. Um, so, yeah, I think probably that. I think probably sort of getting past the initial shock of, oh, my God, this is what we're doing, and then just getting down to the nuts and bolts of it. You talked me through the process then of, of how you came on board, because there was something that, that as you say, there was something that, that pre-existed this show. There was, there was talk at one point that this was going to be a film and uh, other people were involved creatively uh, at, at a certain point. So when you came on board, what was your, your pitch, uh, first of all? And, and, and how did you take... Did you take what was already there and add your own stuff on top of it? Or did you start from page one again? Uh, my initial pitch was just rampant enthusiasm <laughs> uh, for this character and for this just for Star Wars in general. And um, I've always been a bit of an Obi-Wan fan. Um, and we, we just had, I just had a lovely meeting with everybody there. And sort of the notion of this character came up. And I am always have been so enamored with the character that it kind of immediately got the juices flowing in regards to what I would do. And also kind of, cause I knew they'd been developing something in my imagination, what I hoped they were doing, if that makes sense. Cause you didn't know, I didn't know. I was like, God, I hope they're doing this. And I hope they're doing that just as a fan. Mm-hmm. And then, so I got to kind of marry that, those notions that I'd always had um, with reading pre-existing material and stuff they'd been working on that for whatever reason, hadn't felt like the right direction. And, you know, got to take those things which felt like they were working and which, um, you know, it was, we thought maybe we could carry on with and then just build from there. And and sort of, so a lot of it was um, starting again. Some of it was building on some of the ideas that had been explored. Mm. And there were also with this character and this this period chronologically, you know, the audience knows where he is, really. We know sort of, we have an understanding of what he's been up to. And then it's a question of, so that's already kind of pre-existing in canon. You know, we, we know where he is, we know where he's parked, we know what he's up to, and we know where he ends up. <laughs> so yeah. the question of what happens in between, um, some of it sort of takes care of itself storytelling-wise from a beginning point of view and from an end point of view, but what happens in between that's both surprising and also sort of warming in the way that it's what we, we hoped would have happened um, was sort of the, the challenge, but also the, you know, the fun part to kind of let your, let your, the inner kid in you just kind of, you know, I used to make little films with Star Wars figures and then suddenly, you know what I mean? Like it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird thing to suddenly have those little Star Wars figures be, you know, Ewan McGregor. So. Yeah. A, a real life, a real life boy, in fact. <laughs> so, so, um, I mean, there's a lot to dig into there. In in terms of your, you say you, you know, you're a huge fan of the character as I think uh, many, many people are. Um, when you think of Obi-Wan Kenobi, do you think Alec Guinness or do you think Ewan McGregor? Or do you, or do you think of a blend of the two? I think of a blend. Um, I, it, it probably steers a tiny bit more towards 
to Alec Guinness just because he was the entry point, you know, for I'm a, an original trilogy guy just because of that's that was the age I was. Um, and so he, you know, I had my little card with his picture on it and before I had my sticker albums and my toys and all the bits and pieces and before streaming a DVD and, and, and VHS, you know, that's what we had. And I, and my Obi-Wan one was very cherished and I, because he was the, he was the kind of the, the wizard, the Gandalf, the, 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 the guy in the robe, the guy that pulled back the curtain for all of us and showed us this thing that George Lucas built. I've said that before. It's like the, he was the, the man that said, kind of come with me to an audience, to a generation of, 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 um, card carrying geeks like, like, like myself. And so he, for me was always the one that was interesting. And because he was, there was so much unsaid in the original trilogy in regards to that character, that then you and did such an extraordinary job with in the prequels and what a magnificent piece of casting that was, because it suggested that that finished article in episode four, there was very much a story we didn't know about that character because he began as Ewan McGregor, who to me was, was train spotting Ewan McGregor and Shadow Grave Ewan McGregor. And then suddenly he's my Obi-Wan. And I'm like, oh, wow. All right. Well, where are we headed? This is, and yeah. and we, we went through three prequels with that character growing, but then it felt like he hadn't grown all the way to the guy that pulled back the curtain when I was a kid. Yeah. And so the gap, the gap was the, was the, was the interesting part. Um, but it is in answer to your question, it's very much an amalgam of the two. Um, and that's a credit to you and that he was able to kind of put the fingerprints of Jurelic Guinness's performance in what he was doing. So it didn't feel like it was a different conversation. It did feel like it felt like the beginning of that character. I can't say enough good things about what Ewan's done with this character. I think it's pretty extraordinary, really. What did he want to do with the character? And, and did that mesh with what you wanted to do with the character? Um, my, to me, and I, and I would say this about Hayden too, like the char- they've spent so long in the figurative shoes of this character, these characters, and have lived with those characters for so long that their understanding of those characters is, is pretty supreme. Um, and the the what I think you were built out of those, those first three movies, which is really quite nuanced. If you look at it, people say a lot of things about the prequels, but when you actually watch what Ewan's doing throughout, he's just kind of in his own, <laughs> on his own sort of level of just, there's a calm to what he's doing, there's a grace to what he's doing, but he's also got that swagger in those moments that doesn't feel like Sir Alleganis, that feels very unique to him as an actor. Um, and so he had such a clear understanding, just from a viewer, to me, he had his arms wrapped around that character. It felt like he really understood the character. I felt like he owned the character when I was watching those films. Um, that, the, to me, you'd watch him, I would watch a six-part limited of just him sitting in a chair, looking out, <laughs> looking out of the distance, and I'd be quite happy. I think he's, you know, he's, he is, it's his character now. Um, so anything he gets to do beyond that and... He's, he was very gracious about, you know, trusting, and especially he and Deb have a very close relationship. And Deb and I had a very um, similar sort of vision of the character. Um, he, I just think what he's done with it is brilliant. But I suspect you haven't just written six episodes of him sitting in a chair, uh, as engrossing as that would be. It would be good though, wouldn't it? I mean, just like, you know, he, he, he has lunch, makes a sandwich. He's a hermit. You know, that's what hermits do, right? Yeah. Yeah. Swats away a fly, has yeah. another sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> Says hello there. Hello there to something. Um, <laughs> to uh, fly, fly, fly. Yeah. Uh, and, but I suspect that you have, uh, this is a, 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 a an older Obi-Wan, uh, obviously. But I suspect that he's someone who who can still get his hands dirty um, when when the when the when the call comes. Uh, yeah. So I have to ask, you know, as a, as a huge fan of the character, you know, what was it like writing action scenes for him? You know, what was it like writing lightsaber battles for him, or or even, you know, this is a character who is beloved for his Jedi mind tricks. So did you have any of those uh, up your sleeve? And what, what was that like? He, yeah, it's, it's a great thrill getting to write that stuff. Um, it, part of what was important to me was he isn't the, you know, he does, we don't just see him as the finished article. I didn't want him to see him, to see him as the finished article. He's not finished yet. And I didn't want to sort of see the graceful 
you know, um, the calm warrior mm. that, that we sort of see that Zen master warrior in, in episode four. He's on the run. He has got his hands dirty, as you say. Um, and, I, and that was why it was important to me. And you can see it in the trailer. I wanted him to get in a tussle or two. I wanted him to shoot with, you know, I wanted him to have a blaster at his side. I wanted to see those things that, you know, one doesn't typically associate that's very much with Obi-Wan uh, and Blasters. I wanted to actually see him in the middle of it um, and see that he has, he has still got that, that Ewan McGregor sort of youth and energy to him. He's very much age appropriate but, you know, in regard to the chronology of where he would be 10 years before um, Alec Guinness. I think it's like a two, three year shift or something, but he's pretty close he's, as a piece of casting goes. So he's kind of um, mid, mid 40s, mid to late 40s kind of yeah, around, he's, around he's, there. He's, He's thereabouts, maybe a little yeah. later, but he's still, you know, I'm still also watching you and riding his motorcycle around the world and he can handle himself. <laughs> so, so why not put him in a corridor and, and, you know, there's a guy who, if he's, if he's flashing his lightsaber around, people are going to know who he is, you know? <laughs> so like he's, there, there's, there, there's, there's interesting aspects to that character that are consistent with where he is in this time um, that would necessitate him keeping a lower profile and 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 sort of having to to handle the situation a little more um delicately than um he is able to just sort of you know um reveal who he who he really is so yeah it's a it, that part of the character was really 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 fun to write especially for you and because as i said he can handle himself and you watch him training and you see what he can do and you're like oh my god man this guy's you know yeah <laughs> yeah we're roughly equidistant uh, between uh, London and Reading, but we're also equidistant between uh, between A New Hope and Revenge of the Sith, roughly. Which yeah. means, Joby, that you know, in my record, by my reckoning, and this is no disrespect to Alec Guinness at all, he was an older gentleman, obviously, that uh, that Ben Kenobi has to go through some seriously hard shit before we get to that version of the character. He's got some hard yards to to, to, to yeah. go before we get to that guy. Uh, was yeah. that was that part of what you were hoping to do with this with this show? That you were hoping to you know, really make a proper bridge between the Alec Guinness version and the and the Ewan version. Uh, very much so. Um, not just because he needs to, you know, get his hair whitened a little bit along the way with some <laughs> kind of life experience, but because um, he, the guy we left in episode three, has is you know just gone through a pretty extraordinary experience. He's broken um, with with somebody very close to him. Yeah, um, and and he there's unfinished business there, and there's an emotional weight to. Um, to, to, to the outcome of that conflict that there was no version of this character to me that wouldn't be, still be carrying that with him um, or any version of, of really of the sort of the Anakin Vader character that would be carrying it with him too. And, and, and that love story as Deb describes it, which is an interesting way of putting it, um, isn't completely reconciled at the end of episode three, but there's a, it seems like it comparatively that it is in episode four. Mm. There's more of a, you know, an inevitability to that um, outcome into that conflict so what transpired between the two what you know how what's the missing chapter in that love story uh is an interesting was an interesting question uh and and there's different ways of telling the story of how how that uh, that sort of outstanding business is reconciled for obi-wan and the trick of it was what's the most entertaining and interesting story that allows him to face his past that isn't also too, as they say, inside baseball, where uh, a general audience who isn't familiar with the specifics and the intricacies of the prequels and the original trilogy and all the different aspects that we all are, that is also an interesting story for them that, mm-hmm. that plays in and of itself as a six-part um, close-ended beginning, middle, and end story. Um, and so hopefully that's where we've ended up certainly Ewan McGregor Obi-Wan Kenobi Darth Vader unfinished business like the 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 sandbox is pretty rich and pretty exciting pretty interesting um but it's only one part of the story Mm. uh but yes certainly it's the it's the sort of the 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 meat on the bone was was like all those two those two characters the past the future all of that 
At what point did uh, did Fader come into your thoughts? Because obviously there there is a version of this. You know, if if you go off the idea that the last time they met was in Revenge of the Sith, although if you look at A New Hope and you look at everything that that, that Obi Wan says and that that confrontation, or if you look at what Fader says, and I'm sure you have, <laughs> where he goes, "This a presence I have not felt since," and then he stops talking and then just walks away. It almost yeah. feels the way that George knew that one day there would be a limited edition series <laughs> so you could fill in the blanks and go actually the last time they met was five minutes ago rather than than 10 years ago um but there is a version of the show that might not have darth vader in it at all was that something you considered at what point was was vader uh on the table so to speak yeah first of all yeah it's extraordinary the degree to which you try to duck and weave around things that were said before in the other movies to try to find space <laughs> and you're like to your point yeah absolutely he didn't specify like a date so great and he um, says and he says last when last we met he doesn't say when last we met 10 years ago on mustafar he doesn't say that you know at a certain point of view you know like it's, all, you. it's you <laughs> you duck and weave um <laughs> as i was just saying sort of earlier you can't you can't tell Obi-Wan's story without acknowledging the, the, the shadow of Vader that's cast across everything. He is, he, is, he is from prequels on, you know, from episode one on. He's, the, to me, the other side of the coin. He's, he's just, there's, I can't imagine a version of Obi-Wan's story that wasn't in some way about Anakin and Vader. I just can't conceive of it because it would feel reductive. The character, what's most interesting about the character is the, and I would say what's most interesting about the Anakin Vader character is the relationship between the two of them. Um, and, and, and right from the beginning, that was always something that I thought was important. It wasn't everything, as I said. Um, and there are, what's great about it is there are so many aspects to Obi-Wan and to the story and to this time. But um, I think you'd be leaving you know, an ace up your sleeve if you didn't in some way have everything um, acknowledge the, the, as I said, that long shadow that's cast across everything that is Anakin and Vader and that failure. Um, and you could even say the inevitability of that, you know, reunion. And um, so, yeah, I don't, I just, for, for me, it was always part of the story. It had to be. And uh, I, I saw someone discuss this on Twitter the other day, and I thought, oh, hang on, that might be uh, an interesting point, which is that when Obi-Wan leaves Anakin at the end of Revenge of the Sith, as far as he's concerned, Anakin has died. Uh, right. So when we meet up with, with Obi-Wan slash Ben in, in this show, does he know Fader is still alive? Presumably he does. Ten years have passed. Fader is the scourge of, of you know, the, the, the Jedi. So presumably this isn't a revelation to him? Great question. Um, one that can only truly be answered in a few days' time. <laughs> um, yeah, we did all right. I, I thought we, we did okay. We got 20 minutes in before we, we hit our first roadblock. Before the sniper dot appeared. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, uh, yeah, it's a good question. It's one that um, is, it's, a, it's one of the right questions to ask, and there's different ways to answer it. And, and I explored a few of them. In, in sort of developing it and, and I think sort of wrap my arms around the one that bore the most fruit. So, um, yeah, to give nothing away, that's part of the part of the journey that hopefully we'll all get to go on together in a few days. All right, fair enough. And uh, I asked I asked Deborah Liss as well um, uh, about casting Hayden because that seems to imply a certain something about the dramatic load that you're going to give Fader. This isn't simply a case of, and again, this is no disrespect to Dave Prowse, but it's no, you don't bring in, for example, a stuntman just to do the physical stuff and then get James Earl Jones or whoever's doing the voice this time to do, to do the voice. You have, you're giving this guy something to do, something weighty to do. Um, yeah. Like the, as I said before, the soul and the spirit of these characters have belonged to um, George obviously, but these actors for a very, very long time. And, I, and this character is is Hayden, and Hayden is this character. They they they. It's Hayden is an absolutely spectacularly lovely human being, and he was shot out of a cannon in in the boots of this character, literally. And 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 he is forever associated with the character as he should be. And I can't imagine right from the beginning, first meeting, I was like, this is has to be Hayden. 
Like there's no, how brilliant would it be? How fantastic would that be to get to all these years later, see them on screen again, see them on screen again. It'd be amazing. Um, so again, that right from the beginning, I was, I was uh, agitating for that. Mm. Um, and I think that's what people want. I have three boys and they, they're, they're prequel kids and, um, he's their Vader and, and he is part of their story and, and part of that, you know, the bigger story it's often argued is the Anakin story and he's Anakin. So, you know, yep. there's no, there, to me, there would be no version of it. I wanted to ask about the watch list that was released uh, a couple of days ago because I had a lot of the animated shows on there as well. And uh, I'll be completely honest, the animated shows are something that I have not watched. So how can you, how do you incorporate aspects of the animated show into this show? And, you know, were you mindful as well of people like me who might perhaps have, have not seen those shows? I think you, I answer it in, in, in sort of two ways. One is, as I said before, the show needs to work for anybody, mm. regardless of what they have and haven't seen, including if they haven't haven't seen Star Wars. <laughs> it, it should. I mean, I mean that's it, a bold. It, it needs, that's it needs bold. to work in and of its. I was talking about my mum, and yeah. and everyone got very bored of hearing about my mum because we were working on this guy. I said it's got to work for my mum. My mum's sitting on the sofa. She's not a Star Wars person. She's got to sit and she's got to understand what's going on, love it, understand the character, understand the journey, all of that. Um, so on that level, yes. On another level, Obi-Wan was, was unique as a character because he really does belong to each aspect of the audience. Belongs to you, you the original trilogy people like us, belongs to my kids with the prequels, belongs to the animated series fans. And mm-hmm. there's different incarnations of Obi-Wan to all those people and all those aspects of the audience. And each is as important as the other. Nobody gets to own him. No one gets to say he's our Obi-Wan. He's every, we, you know, it's, it's a brilliant character because... He exists in different ways to each aspect of the audience. So each of them has to find their Obi-Wan in the journey of the show. And that's obviously very, very important. And I have to res- it has to resonate to me personally as a writer and to be as a filmmaker. And you've got to find yourself in it. Again, to be reductive, once you, it's really easy to overthink all those things. And at the end of the day, you've got to close the door and say, okay, what's the story? What's the character? What's it going through? What's the beginning, middle, end of that art? And, uh, to that end, it is, yeah, there's certainly part of the animated stuff that's, that's in the show, but anything that was put in there, top to bottom, is only there to service Obi-Wan's story. It, only there to service the arc of this character this time in his journey between prequels and the original trilogy. And if it's not there to service that story, it shouldn't be there. And I I'm tried to be quite strict about that that there wouldn't just be sort of fan service or Easter eggs for the sake of the novelty factor of that. Mm. But instead, if it's not a part of the journey of this character at this moment, then it's not vital to the show and it's not a character driven story. Um, so any aspects of the, you know, that are from the prequels or from the animated stuff that are in there or from the original trilogy are there because they need to be for this to be an authentic story at this time. And uh, I've got to let you go in a second, but there's a couple of things I just wanted to ask about. We've talked a lot about Fader. We've talked a lot about Obi-Wan and that, that relationship, obviously. But there are other relationships in the show that I imagine will prove important. Um, and one of those is the young Luke Skywalker. Can you say anything about that and what that relationship's like? Where, you know, There's a sense through A New Hope that Ben was a presence in Luke's life, but wasn't someone who was at completely at a remove that there was a little bit of interaction going on there. Did that, did, is that something that you address in this? I can say only the, the mystery of that from, from a new hope was always so interesting to me because it was deliberately ambiguous. It felt like I always wanted to know more. You go back and look at those scenes as we did. And I did over and over again to try to sort of see if there's anything that you need to be beholden to. Um, and, and that is certainly something that you'll get to see in a few days, <laughs> uh, uh, a little bit. But also, more than anything, one of the most interesting things to me was right from the beginning, the image of the pilgrimage, if you like, of Obi-Wan living his daily life and his daily routine, sitting on his rock, looking through, seeing young Luke, seeing the moisture farm. Just that image and that feeling and that the notion of that man there watching over you mm-hmm. is very Star Wars to me. It just feels very soulful. 
and it feels very much like the heart of um, what the show was is a connecting sort of story between the prequels and everything that happened and what that boy represents in regards to that story and the original trilogy and everything that we know is going to happen. So the man, the middle-aged man, let's say, not the old man yet, on the rock watching the boy is kind of the great, it was the thing that I loved the most about writing because it just felt so right. It's where I would always imagine him at a distance, not too far, close enough to see. You know, it just, it felt right. And then the degree to which that story then unfolds, as I said, that's, that's for a few days from now. And uh, we were talking earlier on about kind of trying to join up the dots, the things that, uh, that George wrote in the mid-1970s and didn't think that one day people like yourself would have to worry about <laughs> in, in order, yeah. in, in terms of making it all work. And, and one of those, and I wonder if, you, if you've had a little bit of fun with this, is the notion that Obi-Wan Kenobi <laughs> takes the son of Anakin Skywalker to Anakin Skywalker's home planet to hide in plain sight, doesn't change his surname, changes his first name to Ben, but keeps the same surname. Uh, is, is that something that you as a writer have a little bit of fun with the inherent ridiculousness of that, of that premise is quite, is quite funny. Um, <laughs> uh, I, you know, I've been, I've uh, been lucky enough to be, be writing for about 20 years and feel like <laughs> I've picked up a lot, a bunch of tricks along the way. <laughs> there are some uh, things that, that I think are best left uh, unsaid or unexplored because <laughs> it's very hard to, um, to uh, rationalize some aspects of the, of the, you know, the questions that you ask when you do a deep, deep, deep dive, like the one you just said of, uh-huh. of why here, why there, why that name? Uh-huh. Because there's a version of Obi-Wan that's, you know, his name is Stan. He shaved his head. He wears like, you know, a yellow shirt and red trousers and, and he'd be great. <laughs> but he, you, the, the notion of, it's the same with what the Jedi wear, right? And it's, you know, yeah. what they wore and what they would, you know, it's the, much has been written about these things. Yeah. Um, again, Something that you can see when uh, when the show drops, but I will say that there are certain aspects of it that others have left alone and that we chose to leave alone to. One of the things from the from the the, the, the trailer and the various TV spots that has, that broke the internet was uh, Owen's savage put down uh, to Obi Wan. You know the, the the way you trained his father. Uh, that that line, uh, yeah. which is a which is a deep deep burn. Uh, can you talk about that relationship? Because again, Joel Edgerton is an, an extraordinary actor, and I, I, I imagine you've 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 got him back with something really, really juicy to do here. Yeah, like when I wrote that line, it's very easy to write that line knowing Joel's going to say it because it's you, you know you, there's no version of Joel not killing the line. You're like that's gonna that's gonna work. The the genius of George's casting is pretty clear. I think at this point, when you when you think about the actor that. Joel Edgerton has become and Ewan's become and the foresight, you could say, maybe, you know, mm-hmm. knowing that there's still story to be told in that piece of casting, but Joel's so extraordinary as an actor and getting to those moments, seeing the alchemy of certain actors together is definitely, you know, those are the moments, especially when you're on set where you're just sort of everyone's kind of looking sideways at each other in the village grinning because it's what you want to see as an audience member. Mm-hmm. I want to see Joel. And you and having that conversation, <laughs> that's the stuff that's the most fun to write because it's the stuff I just really want to see. Um, and I get to make sure I can <laughs> yeah. by, by getting him to say line because that's, you know, that line is so weighted in so many ways. He's just, it is the deepest of burns um, as a pun there probably somewhere. Anyway, uh, <laughs> the... Uh, yeah, like that's the good stuff. There's probably 20% of it that kind of writes itself. And those, yeah. when you figure out people can be in the scene with each other, you're like, oh, just just let this stuff come out. Yeah, because that, that Owen-Ben relationship um, is 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 very interesting because it's very much like, oh, this guy again. Oh, God, leave us alone. Please leave us alone. And that must be, that must be fun to write as well. Yeah, you could probably sum it up in the word gruff. Yeah. I think I probably wrote the word gruff like 400 times. Gruff, you know. <laughs> Roughly, <laughs> with, a, with a gruff voice. Yeah, he's just, you know, that's Owen. But then there's also, you know, in the same way, that's Obi-Wan in episode four, sure. But who's younger, Owen, 
who's he like what's the story there how do you get to be so gruff like that gruff is that the gruffest guy you've ever seen in episode four so what's the you know is there a story to be told there and and again two great actors in the same room you know again i'd watch that meeting lunch just two guys silently eating sandwiches absolutely uh, and my theory joby uh and i said this on twitter is that obi-wan is so stung by that savage burn from owen that he um, not only turns a blind eye to the Empire killing Owen and Beru later on, but he actually leads him to the homestead. Uh, and he's playing the long con. <laughs> am, am I onto something with this? Um, I don't want to say you've nailed it. <laughs> so, so I'm just going to say nothing. You're just going to, I'll get, I'll get you, mate. I'll show you one day. Just you, just you wait and see. That is, that is ruthless. <laughs> savage, savage. And speaking of savage, the last thing I wanted to talk about is the various other threats that, uh, that Obi-Wan faces in this show. We've talked about Fader, but yeah. I suspect that we may not see a Fader-Obi-Wan uh, confrontation until deep into the show. Uh, meantime, you have the Grand Inquisitor, you have various other Inquisitors, you have Third Sister, you have lots of <laughs> sisters and brothers knocking around as well. Uh, you're stacking the deck against against Obi-Wan here. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's being hunted. You, if you're being hunted, it's helped. If you're, from a story point of view, if there's people around every corner. Um, and we've got some brilliant antagonists uh, in the mix, for sure. Um, Reva, the character of Reva, is again just the actors yeah, these amazing actors doing this stuff like i would tell moses sometimes like you're really, like there'd be a line that would be, be like, oh, this line's okay <laughs> i think it's pretty good i think we'll get away with it because you know there's this particular star wars is so specific and she would just do these amazing reads of these lines I'd be like you know you're really helping me out like, you're doing an amazing job <laughs> thank you so much because you are because that character is, a, is sort of a fresh take on the sort of traditionalism of the Star Wars villain, the sort of the, the stoic English school kind of master kind of situation. And she just comes in and just blows it all up. Um, and so she's a really, really interesting character. And everything, you know, Rupert's got his own take on the Grand Inquisitor. And it's all, it's all good, juicy stuff. There's a lot, there's a good sort of gallery of antagonists to play with. Um, but again, they all have to be a part of everyone's story or they're just there to kind of twirl the moustache and you don't want that so anybody who's there hopefully belongs certainly wanted to avoid having having too many pieces on the board that was always a concern so tried to be as efficient as possible there all right fantastic uh, i can't wait to see what you've done and uh, i'm sure there are more surprises in store including no doubt uh, a cameo for elan Slees bagano yeah we I can say nothing about what's going to happen in a few days time <laughs> I just want to know: Did he did he stop selling death sticks? That's all. That's all I want to know. I just want to know. I can't say anything. Did he go home and rethink his life? By the way, there are so many things that I want to say about that. (laughs) (laughs) I can't. That's so annoying. Well, Um, but um, I I can't say anything. Perhaps we'll have you on uh, once the show is finished, and we can hopefully have a chat about about stuff. Actually, talk Uh, openly without the sniper dots. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, I'll let you go, Joby Harold. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for your time. Cheers, Chris. Cheers, man. Thank you very much. And that was Joby Harold, and that is it for this Obi-Wan Kenobi preview podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. If you do want more Obi-Wan Kenobi chat, well, we've got plenty lined up for you over the next few weeks. As is now tradition, Team Empire will be bringing you weekly Obi-Wan Kenobi spoiler special podcasts in which we will do a deep dive into each episode, speculate wildly, and do terrible impressions. That's a guarantee. The first two episodes of Obi-Wan Kenobi hit Disney Plus, as I said, on Friday, May 27th. May the 27th be with you, as the famous phrase goes. But we're going to split up our spoiler specials across a couple of days. So the first one will be with you on Monday, May the 30th. And the second one will be with you on Tuesday, May the 31st. And then they'll drop every week after that in sync with the episodes. And if you've listened to our previous Star Wars and MCU spoiler specials, then you know that these are a lot of fun. And if you haven't and you want to sign up, then you can subscribe to our spoiler specials, which is a bargain at just £2.99 a month or £32.99 a year. And that gives you full access to every spoiler special and every spoiler special interview we have ever done. Simply go to supportingcast.fm 
forward slash empire. That's supportingcast.fm forward slash empire to sign up. The choice is yours. You must do what you feel is right. Of course. Okay, that's enough for me. I'm going to go home and rethink my life. See you next time. Bye. Bye.